What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Skywatcher What's Up webcast. My name is Kevin Lagora. I'm your product specialist for Skywatcher here in North America. Uh, here at the What's Up webcast, we take a look at everything from what's up in the nighttime sky to equipment to helpful tips and tricks. And of course, at the last uh, Friday of the month, we have a special guest on to talk about their specialty in the field of astronomy. Uh, if you like what you see here, please go ahead and subscribe to the channel. It lets us know we're doing a good job. Uh, maybe leave a like on a video. Um, so we can keep doing this. Uh, so it is the last Friday of the month, and I will let you know I'm not actually here. I'm at the Grand Canyon Star Party at the moment, so this is a pre-recorded episode, which means we're going to bring in someone who's not in the time zone. Um, so today I'm actually joined by my good friend and kind of my counterpart, at least I kind of see him that way, um, Will Godward. Uh, he is from Skywatcher Australia. So, hey, Will, how are you doing for you? It's this morning. For me, it's the evening. So. Yeah, g'day, Kevin. Yeah, thank, thanks for having me on. Uh, it is Absolutely. the morning over here. It's the future, as I say. Yes. Every time we talk, it's like, how's tomorrow look? So, yeah, it's good. We have flying cars over here already. And, I know. Yeah. <laughs> to, get, to get with the times, apparently. So yeah, 14 hours ahead. Yeah, what a trip. So one of these days I need to get down there and just say hi. So it's a long trip to say hi, but one of these days I will get down there and see how you guys do things. Um, so we've known each other for several years at this point. Um, we've hung out at the factory and all that fun stuff when we get dragged all over the world. Um, but I don't think we've ever really sat and hung out kind of like we're doing right now. Um, so I ask the same question with everybody who comes on. Uh, how did they get started in astronomy? So what's your story? Yeah. Uh, so my story, I, I think, I, you know, when I was young, I, I was really interested in science and, you know, I was collecting bugs and looking at the stars and, you know, and doing all the cool things. And then I think it was, it was about 1996. Uh, it was a comet. And it's probably a story for many people out there when they see a comet it gets them going, but it was a comet for me and it was Comet Hale-Bopp. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it was, I remember looking through binoculars, I brought a pair of binoculars to look at it and yeah, looking through a telescope at it and that just, yeah, got me hooked. And then from there, I joined an astronomical society down here in uh, South Australia and, you know, you know being around like-minded people grew that passion and it hasn't stopped since then. Um, so yeah, so yeah, I think it was Comet and Comets have always been my main interest as well uh uh going from there from you know viewing comet hail uh to comet mcnaught another i don't think you guys got to see that up there but comet yeah McNaught. we didn't get the crazy tail and everything no. you guys get so spoiled with the comets down there like we get one and we're like yay and we think it's awesome and then it goes to the southern hemisphere and it just throws out with everything and it's just like oh crap so good for yeah. you. I'll live yeah. vicariously through you. So. <clears throat> I think you got, you guys had a good comment recently though. Was it Neowise? Yeah, something like that. That was like the one good one that we've yeah. had recently. Like you guys are like, oh, that's cute. We have like five that we've had in the past year, couple of years or whatever. So I just know every time there's a good one, the Southern Hemisphere, nine times out of 10 tends to get the, the better view of it. So yeah, it's usually one of those sun grazers coming in um and hopefully like an aussie like someone like terry lovejoy can discover it again and but yeah no they, they are a good show and they do help with telescope sales as well oh yeah because everyone gets like i gotta see it how do i see it and then mm -hmm. you know no that's awesome now um 
you're actually quite an accomplished nightscape photographer, um, which I know is kind of your specialty. Um, I'm not sure. I don't know how the seasons work. I mean, obviously, I know how the seasons work, but Milky Way season for you guys. And this, is it right now, kind of in your wintertime, our summertime? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, our Milky Way season's now. Yep. Okay, so ours is ours it. is the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that, um, obviously, you kind of have to take a different, not a different approach, but you guys have a much more elaborate view of the Milky Way um, down south because the core is high, Scorpio and Sagittarius are way above the horizon. Mm-hmm. You get a lot of it's a very different perspective where for us here, it's like Scorpio and Sagittarius, um, at least here in the more Southern part of the U S they get up and you can see it. The core is up, but there are some places that as you go North, like those barely scrape above the horizon. But for you, it's like way up there. Um, so I didn't know if you could kind of share your experience of Mm -hmm. nightscape photography from the southern hemisphere and i know you've got some cool pictures that you've shot to mm-hmm. so people can yep. see how credible you are <clears throat> oh thanks mate thank you now we are very blessed down here in australia or down under and yes any i think it's also like you know south america as well have similar skies in south africa but yeah australia's yeah we're very lucky here i think come around about march we start to see the core rising um in a normal hours you, you can you can catch it in like february like just before dawn uh, but around March, you, sit, you start to see the core of the Milky Way rise. And then at the moment, you know, once you go outside, you know, during around about 11 o'clock at night, you know, the core of the whole stretch of the Milky Way is like at zenith, zenith or zenith um, straight overhead. So you can like capture the full, um, the full reach of it. And then, you know, later in the year that, you know, the Milky Way, you know, come around about uh, August, September, it starts to set over the Western horizon. Then you can catch that, you know, you can get those Milky Way shots where it's like a, it's like a, a rainbow effect or arc of the Milky Way um, mm-hmm. stretching over the Western horizon. And I can share you some pictures just to give you an idea of what it's like. Can you see that? All right. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, awesome. <clears throat> so this shot here, um, yeah, this is a, like a shot of the Milky Way rising over the uh, the eastern horizon for us and as you can see you can like scorpios uh, it's quite high already and mm-hmm. yeah and i mean this is taken from border class one skies about a few hours north of where i live here and yeah and it's it's amazing to see the uh, the core and yeah i guess i guess it's what everyone chases in nightscape photography um even yeah, though once that you know river of stars across the sky do you stack your images or do you are they just single shots or how or do you composite or how do you how do you work with that yeah so i'm a, I always i love panoramas and i'm not much of a stacker um i mainly shoot panoramas where i using like a you know 14 mil or a 24 mil is my main focal length and i i take multiple images um so for example this image i think this is around about 30 shots um of the night sky and then just and stitched together and it's kind of like stacking as well because you're taking the best of you know each image and putting it together. And then I uh, this this image was tracked with a Skywatcher Star Adventure, uh, one of my favorite tools. But uh, then then you take the foreground and then it's kind of you just blend the two together. But it is as you know as what the night sky was like there and the position of the Milky Way you know over that land feature 
um, mm-hmm. exactly to you know what it was on that night or early hours in the morning i think this one was but yeah now the milky way it's yeah this this another shot from it's this is called the flinders ranges just up about five hours north of adelaide here in south australia and it's it's some of the darkest skies um uh, in south australia and beautiful landscape you know untouched landscape mm-hmm. uh, for many years so yeah no, i know that's amazing. a big thing with australia is i think you have a map i know we were talking about it before this but mm-hmm. australia is as big if not maybe a bit bigger uh than the united states is but when you look at the light pollution map which i know you have yep. it's incredibly dark like in comparison like yeah like 99 percent of the continent is black so is. <clears throat> uh with just obviously you know you have Perth and Adelaide and Melbourne and Sydney and Brisbane, um, the coastal cities are pretty much where everyone's at at that point. It is. I mean, I, you know, in the center part here, it's mostly it's mostly desert, and mm-hmm. you know, you know, sometimes in summer it can get to fifty plus degrees Celsius. I don't know what that's in Fahrenheit. Sorry. Hot. It's hot. It's well over a hundred. Is it one hundred and twenty or something Fahrenheit? It's- it's up there uh i'd have to go and try yeah. to convert but yeah it. no it's so it's hot so that's why there's no one living out there but of course no one living out there then you know it's beautiful night skies and some of the mm. best night skies uh, you can get out are there, there but... any particular places like if someone wanted to come to australia and they want to be able to see the milky way um are there any small towns that you find are like a good place to kind of base out of where it's like hey i want to come in i want to see the milky way i want to go do the night sky of the southern mm-hmm. hemisphere um are there any little places that you like to go like that yeah. tend to be a good place <clears throat> so i live in adelaide down here mm-hmm. um down the middle and that's you know i live 45 minutes from the actual city of adelaide and i'm in border class three skies and you know i can see the milky way easily and capture it really easily from just you know with 45 minutes from a main city and you know somewhere if you are sydney you might have to travel about you know about three to four hours um out of sydney but you know adelaide's a great spot uh for the night sky we're very um very blessed here with really dark skies we have a i think it's one of the first in australia if not the southern hem it's a, it's called the river murray dark sky reserve Oh, okay. I was going to ask if there was any like certified dark sky sites. Yeah, there's one. It's about an hour from me. And, you know, that's, I think it's about border class two or two skies or something like that. But it is, you know, we're treated to easily dark skies um, Mm -hmm. wherever you go around, um, just with a few hours drive from a a CBD uh, location. And, you know, we can even, you know, Adelaide is even um, down Tasmania way in Melbourne, uh, you get it the most, but, you know, Adelaide, we could even see a few sub, some of the Southern lights as well um, over the Southern horizon oh, down cool. here. So we're, we're just far enough South as well to sit, capture that. Very cool. Um, now, because I'm not anywhere versed in the Southern hemisphere, when do the uh, small and large Magellanics become visible for you guys and for those who don't know the large and small magellanics are the companion galaxies of the milky way which is only visible in the southern hemisphere so for me i I think i can see them all year round um okay i didn't realize they were nearly circumpolar or that far north so that's that's a shot you know looking down it's directly south 
um, from you know, about 30 minutes from my house. And you can see the large and the small Magellanic cloud there. And you know, I, I think the, uh, where's the South Celestial Pole should be around about here. Okay. Um, uh, so yeah, they're always visible above the horizon um, down here. And yeah, they just, yeah, they look like naked eye, easy to pick with the naked eye, just you know, like a bright cloud in the sky, but yeah, easier to pick um, uh, photographically um, anyway, looking south. And now do yeah. you, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, do you composite the shot? So do you shoot the horizon and then shoot the Milky Way and then put them together? I do. Yeah. So composite or blend them together. So, yeah. so I can't track the foreground, of course, um, and then just blend the two together um, and position them, you know, position it exactly where it was on that night time as well. So, so yeah, no, we are lucky to have the, this LMC and the, uh, uh, the small Magellanic cloud and, you know, the, the two, uh, the two objects in those, like the tarantula nebula. Mm -hmm. That's then, in the large. Like I the think. large, I think it's around about there. And then you've also got uh, 47 uh, Tuck or Tucane, um, the small globular uh, cluster. Oh, okay. Um, just that, that's it right there um, next to the small Magellanic cloud. And that's beautiful, um, a globular. You know, it's, it's you, you've got Amiga, Centauri, which is a lot, you know, it's a globular, but then you've got, look at the small Magellanic cloud with the 47 tuck and it's, it's like a little sweet globular cluster. It's beautiful through like a 16 inch Skywatcher dub. That's um, cool. Yeah. <clears throat> I guess it gets overshadowed because everyone here, it's like, I saw Omega Centauri. Like that's the mm. holy grail for the Southern. Well, that and Centaurus A, uh, but those are like really Southern hemisphere or really South targets um, that, I can see Omega from my backyard yeah. barely clears the tree. Um, and it's in a terrible part of the sky, but I've seen it where Naked I know for you guys, or... it's, uh, no, no, it's binoculars or yep. with a telescope, <clears throat> but the telescope looks like it's like laying down practically for you. It's like straight up. Yeah. Most of the time. Yeah, it's so. usually straight up overhead um, during winter and that as well. But no, we are, we are lucky down here in the Southern Hemisphere with uh, the objects, and I probably should get out there and image them more. Um, and I think it's, a lot of people love to come down here, but yeah, we've got a lot of space to image yeah. them. Are there any uh, targets that you wish you could have more time or access to that are Northern Hemisphere-based that maybe don't clear the horizon out there as well? I mean, I guess you see all the images of... Uh, um, the Andromeda galaxy and you know it'd be cool to so we can image it here but it's about five to ten degrees above the horizon mm -hmm. from here so it's very you need a really flat northern horizon and you know somewhere up north over like a salt lake or something like that you'll you'll be able to capture it easily enough uh, but yeah it's not that high but it'd be good to um, uh, try and image that uh, besides yeah. that and I guess you know for those who are uh, who need a polar align a equatorial mount uh, if we had a north star like you guys up there it would be a lot easier than trying to find um sigma octants uh, down yeah. here uh, which is sometimes it's sometimes a big deterrent for some people when they're uh, trying to track you know for the first time trying to find those little stars yeah but yeah once you once you get going and you you do it a lot uh, it's it's actually quite easy um to set up a tracker no um, and they're and for anybody who's actually watching, because we get a lot of people who like get our equatorial mounts mm -hmm. and 
they're like, oh, you sent me the Southern Hemisphere reticle because it has octans in there. No, yeah. we didn't. They're, they work in both hemispheres. Makes, makes, I don't know how you guys were doing it when it was the the old school reticle, the one that has like Cassiopeia and the Big Dipper and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, I don't understand how that was around that long or how you guys were able to do anything with something like yeah, that. I think we managed. I think they they started producing like a replacement poloscope for us down here, and that we were um, retrofitting to some of the like the EQ6 oh, okay. and HEQ5 mounts. Um, and then, you know, with the Star Adventure coming out, it had the correct or, uh, correct poloscope for us to accommodate our four little stars that we have to align to. Yeah. No, I just get, I've had so many people call up and they're like, you sent me the wrong reticle. It's like, it works in both hemispheres. So you're welcome. So when you take your tracker, you can go anywhere in the world and you're good to go. So yep. unless you're on the equator, then sorry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it just sucks. So, um, so I know a lot of people, obviously we could talk about gear all day long, mm -hmm. but, um, what, uh, equipment do you like to use? I know you like the star adventure. Mm -hmm. We're both kind of, you know, we work for Skywatcher or represent mm -hmm. Skywatcher. So obviously we're a little jaded when it comes to what trackers we like to use, but, nothing else, um, of nothing no. else. <clears throat> um, are there, what, what lenses, what cameras do you like using? I know mm -hmm. that's a big topic in the nightscape world. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I guess. You know, I've, I started with Canon and a lot of people have started with Canon and my first camera was the Canon 20D. I don't know if oh, anyone out there back. has had that one. I think it was about 2003, I think it came out. That was my first digital. Actually, my first camera was a film camera. So uh, I'm not that old, but I did have a film camera to start, mm -hmm. start using first. And then it was a Canon 20D with a kit lens. And, you know, that I was able to take some really nightscape images back then. And that was before the whole nightscape thing was a, a genre. Uh, back then so that was really that was good and then uh then i've moved over to canon like a canon 5d canon 6d and then then sony came out with their amazing cameras and in the last couple of years i've you know kind of switched totally over to sony the sony a7 series of cameras and mainly primarily for video originally and just because they they could offer so much at a cheaper price but then the sony gear just yeah just to shoot with them, it was, they're so light and compact and the glass on the system is really good as well. So, yeah, I shoot my main Astro camera is a Sony a7 III. It's Astro modified. Uh, so, so it's, you know, catered towards trying to pick up that hydrogen alpha a little bit easier. Uh, and then I have like an, another Sony a7 III, which I, like, I shoot for uh, like time lapses when I'm out there. Mm. And then I have also got the Sony a7S III. Uh, and you know you can see you can capture the milky way at nighttime uh, with just on, on video with that camera it's like a you can see in the dark you can also sometimes like look on the back of the screen without a torch just so you can see your surroundings uh, it's amazing I know the, the s version i remember when that thing came out and i called it an apod in a box yeah. because it was just like you could just point it anywhere it was like boop whoa so yeah, those S cameras from Sony are just unbelievable. So yeah. I need to try one again sometime. So yeah, I love the Sony. Uh, and I, I came onto Sony after that whole star eating thing was gone. Um, okay, I wasn't I sure if they had that. fixed that. I don't track Sony. Yeah, I don't do, see but... that in the cameras that I'm using anyway. Uh, so 
yeah, that, that's kind of gone. Um, and then, yeah, with the lenses, uh, I was using Sigma Art and I've still got a Sigma Art 105 mil, which is a beast of a lens, but beautiful. Mm. It's like F1.4 at 105 mil. So I use that for some uh, some deep space objects. But my favorite lens at the moment would probably be the, the, the Sony 14 mil G Master. And that's that's really good. It's really sharp to the edge to edge. And, you know, shooting, I usually shoot around F2 on that lens and, and it's just so light as well yeah if it, it's enjoyable i find it you know if you can if it's you're not lugging so much gear out there uh it's it's more enjoyable to uh you know, shoot the night sky um you know you can take that gear out a lot easier as well yeah that's my problem is i bring out too much stuff and that's like what am i going to use and then you just end up wasting your time so it's like yeah if you go out you know a camera maybe you've got two lenses and like that's it mm -hmm. and and your tracker and you're, you're like set at that point. Sorry. Um, yep. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off on your modified camera. I know we did an episode about modified cameras, but, um, you having owned one, mm -hmm. um, cause you do notice in your images that a lot of that red nebulosity really pops in your shot. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm assuming that is with your modified camera. Did you notice a major difference, um, a and B from doing the modified camera and do you recommend that for people who are you know serious about nightscape work i think yeah so yeah i did notice a difference at first um it was yeah, quite noticeable I'll, I'll share one of these images um with the modified um that's from my backyard here in uh, the adelaide that's hills nuts. um so yeah you can notice a difference straight away um that was a that's a 24 mil um mm -hmm. panorama so i think it's about 40 shots um, and Orion's up the right way, just for jokes. But yeah, no, you do notice it straight away um, with a modified. It's just really easy to process and bring out that hydrogen alpha. Um, you can still you can still capture the same details with a non-modified, but you just probably need to expose a bit longer or have darker sky. So yeah, so that's it, it is. You can notice a difference, and I just I think with Nightscape, you know, trying to um, you know try and capture that hydrogen alpha really kind of uh, really tells a better story of the Milky Way and it kind of it kind of separates as well um, from um, other photographers if you do have a Astro modified camera, I found. It does give you that pop. And I think a lot of people forget just how much nebulosity, obviously down in the Southern Hemisphere, there's a ton in there, but mm -hmm. um, we have a bunch up here. Obviously you have like the Barnard Loop and the Rosettes in yep. there and the California Nebula I see down on the bottom left. And yep. um you know, there's all that up in there. And then, yeah, that's a big thing where I think people, it is hard to bring that out, but having that slight modification does make a big difference. Obviously, as you can see with yours is it really, do, and it does give you like this sense of, you know, depth in the image because it just pops it more. Mm -hmm. um, but one of these days, I guess I'll have to try one out. But yeah, so there you go. If you think about getting your... Now, do you have the like full modified, like the full spectrum, or is it just the hydrogen alpha modified? Uh, just the hydrogen alpha. Um, okay. And that's all I need. I think I think there was when the person who modified my camera was saying, I think for Sony systems, it was uh, there might have been a bit of light leak issue if you um, do a full spectrum. Mm. I, think, I think there's a company in the US called Spencer Cameras. Um, I had yeah, I they're get mine kind done of through them they're the big one up here but i think they're um they're one of the leaders uh now in the world for astro modified 
I mean, you don't need an Astro modified camera to shoot nightscape. Um, I think I had an image down here, which um, that was with a Sony A7S III. Um, and that wasn't with a modified camera. So you don't need a Astro modified to shoot nightscape. It's just, if you want to tell a different story. Um, yeah, it does give you that saturation. It's a big difference oh. in the saturation though. So, you know, it just pops, whoops, pops and really brings out that detail. Mm -hmm in those h2 regions up there yeah it uh, does if someone wants to get started doing nightscape photography mm -hmm. whether you're in a north or south hemisphere um is there any recommendations you know to get started that you you know what camera to look into or um lenses and obviously you shoot the sony's but mm -hmm. um i know it's is what what are your recommendations for someone who wants to get started mm -hmm. I guess I've seen lately some really amazing shots taken with phones, uh, smartphones. Yeah. It's like, whoa. It's like, it's kind of like where technology was maybe 10 years ago or 15 years ago, what they're achieving with nightscape images. So that's, if you've got a phone, you might be already able to do it straight away. Um, but if you want to like, you know, get it into like a, a digital SLR or a, a mirrorless camera, I still think, you know, if you can pick up like a secondhand Canon 6D out there, I think that's still one of the best um, Astro Nightscape cameras um, on the market. Um, so Canon 6D, I know they discontinued now, but that's still, that was the leader out there before, you know, the progression of into mirrorless uh, cameras in, and, you know, partnering up that with like a wide 14 mil lens and a sturdy tripod. And that's, you know, that's kind of all you need uh, to get going. And, you know, with that kind of setup, you know, you can take probably maximum like 30 second exposures and you know you can be able to and you better you know if you dark enough skies you better really bring out that milky way um, and really dark skies you might better bring out a bit of color as well um, in that milky way so that's kind of like the base uh, you know and you can and you might not need a canon 60 um, you might need a, a cheaper camera if you can at least you know something that can take longer exposures uh, to bring out the night sky um, that's kind of uh, all you need to start with yeah anything like the the rebels or you know yeah. the the really any modern day dslr is generally pretty well suited as far as it's like inboard processors um to handle stuff so yeah it's really just that long exposure bulb mode or manual yep. mode that you're really looking for and then obviously a nice lens goes a long way with, with those I've seen it people does, do really yeah. nice stuff with the kit lenses, which I know that's how I think both of us started, but you mm -hmm. find out really quick. It's like, oh, if I had a lens that was f2.8 or if I had a lens that was f2 or mm -hmm. 1.4 or 1.2, um, that makes a humongous difference, especially if you don't have a tracker mm -hmm. um, at that moment. And you said you also use like a 24 uh, millimeter as well. Yeah. Yeah, do no, you find 20... the need to go longer much? Yeah, so I mean, my main style of photography is like panoramas. So if I go longer focal length, that means there's a lot more images to take. Um, so I have shot up to 50 mil or like 105 mil. I had the uh, the Sigma 105 mil with uh, on the new Star Adventure GTI, and I was uh, did a um, like a 30 image panorama with that uh, on that mount, and that worked beautiful. Um, so yeah. yeah. That really brought out the uh, the core of the Milky Way, um, like Rio, Rio Fuki, um, and then through Scorpius and that as well. So it is nice to have that increased like resolution. I mm -hmm. mean, obviously it's a, 
a monster project to be able to do a big old mosaic at longer focal lengths. But when you actually you're zoomed in already that much and then mm. you're using a camera that's like 20 megapixels and you stitch all that together, it's just this beautiful high resolution shot. But those like you have said, those shots require some effort. So obviously for some people, it's easier just to do one big lens and boom. But I'm a big fan of doing mosaics and stuff like that mm. for that really high res wide field shot. So hopefully the uh, GTI might be able to do that for us automatically one day soon. It would be cool if it yeah. would, the Star Adventure GTI did built in mosaics, wouldn't it? Yes, so, it would. Maybe <laughs> watch this take space. a look at, yeah, we'll have to w keep an eye out for that. Yep. So, um, I know you've been playing with that. Do you find, um, I know there's a lot of people out there that haven't had a chance to play with the Star Adventure GTI as of this recording. Mm -hmm. um, they're coming. Stop asking. They're coming. Mm -hmm. um, uh, do you find having shot with the Star Adventure and now with the GTI, the go-to function really helps you out much? Or what do you like about that compared to the, the two eyes and the standard models? Yeah, I, I mean, the go-to, you know, if you're chasing deep sky objects, um, for starters, you know, your longer focal length, if you're using like a 400 mil, you know, even like maybe a 200 mil and you're not that sure of the night sky, you really want to center those deep space objects, then, you know, it's so much easier uh, than trying to manually move your scope around the night sky. Mm -hmm. So there's that. I think the really, the really good thing about it, especially for the Southern hemisphere, it's got that, the inbuilt polar alignment feature. Yeah. Yeah. Which we probably should talk about more. Um, you know, I think we've got it and Celestron have got it as well. How that, you know, once you do that rough polar alignment, you can fine tune the polar alignment. And, you know, a lot of people add on like little polar scopes and uh, even laser pointers and that as well. But, you know, it's already built into all the Skywatcher mounts. So that having that feature for like a, a lighter kind of nightscape um, go-to type of, uh, you know, portable mount, you know, that's, that's excellent. Yeah. And then of course, they, you know, if you, yeah, partnering that gonna, Sorry. yeah you go mate i was gonna say i don't mean to be cutting you off and stuff like that all the time so i apologize yeah. um on the polar alignment feature all you have to do is like a one star alignment like obviously get it close this is with all of our equatorial go-to mounts you know get it close do a one star and then the polar alignment option opens up and then you can go through the prompts and it tells you what to do and then that'll help you adjust your overall alignment even if you can't see Polaris um, yeah. or you're having a hard time, you know, doing that, it's in there. So, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, you know, we don't have those uh, bright uh, Polaris like you guys have. So that really does help us down here um, for that. And I think, yeah, it's just having that, I like it, you know, that light, like I was saying back to Sony, having a light set up, um, you know, to go out makes it more enjoyable than, you know, having a smaller equatorial mount and a smaller, you know, uh, focal length telescope, just you probably bet use it more and, you know, take it out there. if It's a lot easier to set up and portable as well. So I know that's kind of my downfall is I, I have a bunch of stuff, but you know, kids at home, you work all day. If your stuff's not mm -hmm. already set up by the time you get home, you're probably not going to, I mean, everyone here knows what that's like. So yeah, having a setup that you can basically, I mean, you could put one of like our Evo Luxes or the, you know, mm -hmm. Evo star 72 on that and have a whole little system. Uh, I have a ZWO ASI air that controls yeah. mine and 
to have that whole little setup and just go boop boop and pop that out in the backyard i mean it's not set up but it's all put together you know yeah it's not some big refractor with some big old thing on it but you're out imaging with it at this point so Mm -hmm. yeah i think it's going to be an awesome little mount uh, once it gets out into the world as well i think they're very convenient i think they are and i'll still keep using the 2i and i also use the the star adventure mini as well i think that that little mount you know uh, matched with like a mirrorless sony system uh, it's it's excellent it's just so i mean it's the size of an apple yeah uh, that mini and you know that's all you need uh, with a wide field lens. Um, and then, yeah, with a two eye, I'll keep using that as well you know, for my real portable setups. Yeah. I find they're really good companions, uh, mm-hmm. to each other. You know, the, the, the GTI is, it's a real mount at that mm-hmm. point. So, you know, and I know there's a bunch of customers that we've had, I'm sure you've had as well, where they get a, a star adventure and they're like, okay, where do I point it? Where do, how do I find Andromeda? How do I find whatever? Um, I know a lot of people out there coming in from the photo world mm-hmm. that go to function is a very, very helpful little thing to do. But also if you're just trying to build like a little imaging rig, um, now you can have an automated system. If you have a computer or the ASI air and you know, if you want to do a big chunk of the sky, um, right now you you can program that with an asi air and go to sleep and it it'll automate that system for you so having that go-to feature is a big advantage but like you said the mini is another one that i feel like gets overlooked um, by a lot of people because it doesn't have the bigger payload capacity of like the 2i but if you're backpacking if you're just doing like 24 or 35 millimeter and smaller like that's really what that little mount is all about i like the time lapse feature on it the pan yes that's right yeah that's um so i think the the mini gets overlooked quite a bit but i think it's a really useful little tool Mm -hmm. um beyond just a star tracker but it's i think a lot of people over overlook it because they do want to do the bigger payload longer Mm -hmm. focal length stuff and that's the ultimate goal, isn't it? As you, I think you guys said, the Star Adventure is the gateway to Australia. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it definitely is. But the the Mini is definitely something I think more people should take time to consider. But I feel like the Mini is a little bit more of a specialized tool than the larger one is. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to need those features. But, man, is it... I mean, you could keep that in your camera bag and it doesn't take up any no. room. So... No, it's very light, like a size of an apple. Yeah. Um, so obviously you do a lot of nightscape work, but you also do regular astrophotography as well from time to time, I assume. I try when I get time. Yes. Yeah. I do like I do like the nightscape. I found that and you know, try and be a uh, amateur at everything, or try and you know focus on one type of uh, type of astrophotography. So I do like my nightscape, and. And that, you know that's led to a you know a couple of apods out there as well um, with that, but yeah, with deep space, uh, yeah, I just I guess it's just the, having the time to set up that full rig, yeah. and mm-hmm. uh, you know I do have a a one fifty Esprit sitting in my uh, my garage garage here, so I should probably get out and use it a bit more. <laughs> There's so many people that are probably like dying at the moment, being like, "You don't use it, just send it to me, I'll use it." So, yeah. um, use it more 
but you it's know, you awfully know. convenient to do nightscape when the milky way is right outside your house so it is and the luxury i live on a bit of an acreage here so i can just leave the camera out at night time and uh, yeah. go to sleep uh the uh the lazy version and just capture a time lapse of it rising or something like that so yeah yeah the only thing that's gonna run off with your camera are the big old spiders or snakes yeah. you guys have out there in the outback yeah. so yeah we've got a few of them around yeah i know you've sent me pictures of yep. you know what's on the car today and all <laughs> that fun stuff so it's hey it's part of living in out mm -hmm. in that part of the world so but uh no that's cool um do you find so this is where i think it gets really interesting because obviously in the u.s um and even north america there's like i've even talked to this with like the uk distributors as well it's very interesting to see i wouldn't say culturally but it's different it's interesting to see what um uh, what equipment people are interested in different parts of the world and you know, here in the U.S., it's right now it's small, fast, you know, little refractors and stuff like that. I'm curious. And, you know, you do go to the star parties and you see the, you know, really big daubs and stuff like that. But what are some of the trends in Australia that you tend to see? And I know that in a way is kind of a loaded question because everything in Australia is also more expensive because of the import and how hard it is to get it there. But where for your customers, what's kind of the hot thing right now that they tend to like to gravitate to? I think, I think we do follow a lot along what the U S is doing. So it is, you know, small mounts, uh, small refractors, um, and, you know, trying to have like quick results. Uh, to get, you know, take a, a beautiful image and then, you know, post it on social media, um, have a quick, mm -hmm. quick result. Um, so there is that. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, for the equatorial mounts, your yeah, EQ6R is selling really well. And then, you know, matching that with like an, uh, an 80 mil, like an Evo Star or a the Evo Lux or like a Esprit 80 mil or 100 mil. That's kind of like the sweet spot for astrophotographers out there at the moment with that and then we also you know we get the ones who really want a dedicated setup with the eq eq8r mount and uh you know matching that with a nice esprit 150 uh you know both for visual or for astrophotography i think mm. some my best ever view of satin was through an esprit 150 i think satin was like a zenith i yeah. ran out of eyepieces on an esprit 150 yeah we think we were up 2.3 millimeter on yeah, one wow. night when this, okay. and it was just like i don't have anything left so that's it so it was but they it, it they looked like throw a, down it, an image. a nasa image um through the eyepiece it was amazing yeah um with our night skies over here we you know because we're so dark uh, you know, dobsonian's uh always been a, a great seller um in australia you know, you know that's promoted through the astronomical societies and that as well but um you know having a, a eight inch or a 10 inch uh dobsonian um as a first scope is you know it's it's very popular i think mm. the eight inch is probably one of the most popular um sizes definitely yeah do you guys see many of the the really large you know dobs like when you're starting to go half meter or bigger mm -hmm. i know on our major star parties out like texas and stuff like that you know you will see dobsonians that are 20 inch or half meter and bigger do you get a lot of those down there few, yeah there's a few i think a lot of custom builds i think there's one custom 
uh, place here in Australia that makes the big dobs. And I think I've, I've looked through like a 30 and like a 36 inch uh, Dobsonian and yeah, some of the, yeah, it's amazing. Uh, seeing like color in the tarantula nebula. Um, yeah. Like it's... Looking at like Ida Carina um, and seeing like the, the little split in the, uh, the center star as well so yeah no it's we do have the big dogs and i mean there's a star party here and i've seen the guy um, he arrives with it on his truck um mm -hmm. he's 36 inch or 40 inch it might have been um so we do have them but i think my, my favorite dog is uh, i've got one here in my garage is the 16 inch uh, skywatcher uh, dog non-go-to i love yeah. the non-go-to feature just so i can manually push it around the night sky and remember try and remind myself where to find things but that i find that match with like a like a i've got a is it the 16 mil ethos is it or yeah 17 mil ethos yeah, yeah 17 mil ethos you know that combination is yeah you, know, you can see the horse head nebula um, under the dark skies with it i've been able to and yeah i've owned a couple dobs i uh a 10 inch uh i have a 16 inch i've had a 20 and i've got my 28 uh, it's finally done now and a 16 is such a sweet size because it's not too big it's not too small it is a noticeable jump over a 12 inch mm -hmm. and it's definitely one of the you've entered the big boy category when you've started to hit the 15 16 inch mark because yep. there's not much on those charts you can't hit in a dark sky with a 16 i mean like you said the horse head not yep really that difficult with a 16 inch and that's that's a big you know jump for a lot of people and mm -hmm. i don't know about you but galaxies in a 16 inch just pop on another level compared to you know anything really smaller than that so regardless of who makes it but i mean the i do think the 16 is a very nice size if you're looking for something that's not super big but it's not small either so that's especially under dark skies. Yeah, no, you're right. And it, it is portable. I mean, you can collapse that 16 down as well. I remember I had a sedan, uh, a four seat sedan, and I used to put the uh, 16 inch tube on the back seat and then collapse the base and put it into the, the we call it the boot or the trunk uh, mm -hmm. over here. So I was able to go to like star parties with a 16 inch in the back seat. Uh, so it is kind of portable, but it is a big mount, but yeah, the, the views through it. And I've had, you know, fellow friends look through it and look through like a, a 20 inch uh, custom build. And there's not much of a difference there uh, between the. Yeah, there's what... about a, if you had them side by side, you would see the difference, but there's only about a half magnitude difference between a 16 and a 20, which is mm. noticeable, but it's not something that would, if you didn't have them together, it wouldn't be the end of the world um because the 20 is only going to inch it out just a little bit more um but it's also a lot more effort a 20 is a lot bigger telescope too that yep. you got to lug around and you might need a trailer or you know it doesn't fit in a sedan that's for freaking sure so no, no that's right uh, Stargate, but yeah, yeah anyway. maybe um but yeah i i loved all my scopes but yeah once you hit 20 you really need to kind of consider what you're getting yourself into. Um, I mean, they're worth it in my opinion, but they are compared to like a 16 is a nice companion scope was well, a serious companion scope. If you're like an imager mm -hmm. and it's running all night, you could bring a 16 inch out and be busy all night. A tw I mean, you could do that with a 20, but a 20, 
and like an imaging system. A 20 is not a companion telescope most of the time. It is the telescope. And of course, anything bigger than that is you better know what you're getting yourself into and committing to making that happen. So, No, you're right. No, you're right. I think is there any found, sorry oh, i was going to say have you found recently that uh, i think i've no, i've actually had comments people saying that the skywatch and mirrors are getting better um i don't know what they're actually doing in the factory but you know comparing to what people could see um you know many you know 10 years 15 years ago the the, the quality of the mirror is just getting uh, a lot better you know you pull out a, a crisp new 16 inch dob and look at an object and this it's amazing the the views through it yeah, I mean, you and I have been to the factory, and mm -hmm. I know a lot of people are like, oh, that's made in China. That's, they've been doing this a long time. I mean, mm -hmm. they've really, I mean, of course, if it's like, hey, can you make me a 20-inch F3? Like, hey, you might have a problem making one of those. Mm -hmm. But for this, for the stuff they do make, I mean, they really know what they're doing. Um, I was going to make a daub out of our one of our quattro 300 mirrors mm -hmm. the 12 inch f4 um and i gave it to a friend of mine and uh to make this scope and it kind of fell through and i have <laughs> I have more scopes than i know what to do with so it, it got moved the project got moved around but anyway he tested the mirror for me just for the heck of it mm -hmm. and it was like it was just stock i had this thing sitting on the floor of my garage in itself for like a year and a half layer of dust on it it was just sitting there from some trashed out quattro that was damaged and it was a 0.94 strel primary that was right out of the box no one touched it i couldn't have told you that until he measured it but it was just like and obviously don't just go out and buy one of our mirrors and expect it to be like that every time but a 12 inch f4 is a fairly fast optic on its own and to have that kind of you know caliber i mean you pay a lot of money for a mirror like that custom mm -hmm. to almost those same specs so but yeah i i've had friends of mine um who are mirror makers look through some of our scopes and just like hey what do you think and they're they'll star test it and obviously it's mass production so not everything's gonna be you know a ringer but they know what they're doing. They've been making mm -hmm. these mirrors for a long time. So they, mm -hmm. they know what's acceptable and what's not. So it does drive me nuts when people are like, ah, oh, it's made in China. It's like, okay, well, they're like master opticians that are making these things and they're quite good. So yeah. just because it doesn't have someone's like name on it doesn't mean it's necessarily bad or it's cheap. Doesn't mean it's bad. It just means... There's a lot of them out there, mm -hmm. so. but no, I, I think they're, they're very nice mirrors. They, you know, even like the Esprit's anybody who's ever used an Esprit, it's like you said earlier, it's really impressive what that scope can throw down. Not even knowing anything. I don't know anything about my Esprit 150s optic. I just know it's nice. So, mm. but no, obviously nowadays they're they are highly regarded as a really nice refractor so they give them credit where credit's due they the the engineers and the people actually at skywatcher who build these really know what they're doing so they do yeah 
and they don't get i don't think they get enough credit a lot of times because obviously we're the front line you're the front line for mm-hmm. australia we're the front line you know people tell us but it doesn't make it back to the people who actually make it and work on it so no but they do a nice job so thanks for... and yeah and the views are amazing i just mm-hmm. like we, your comment on the esprit just you know comparing that to the competition out there the value that you get in say like a one 100 mil esprit uh, is you know you Compared to the competition, it's it's amazing the results that people are achieving. Um, we just ran oh, a nuts. we just ran a Skywatcher Australia astrophotography competition, and uh, some of the res- you know just seeing the results of people entering uh, photos taken through sprees and through quattros, and uh, even like some images were taken through Dobbs as well, uh, some solar system images, mm-hmm. and just yeah, some of the quality of the images there are uh, you know the the iPod quality. Uh, out there and what they're achieving through an affordable scope yeah that's like the name of the game now you don't have to spend a large amount of money anymore to get something really nice but i mean you're seeing that everywhere you know you have sigma and tamron you know i remember a few years like several years ago where you it's like oh my god you bought one of those now they're they're they like rival some of the name brand glass that's out there. And I I think it's pretty much the same thing where you either start making really nice stuff or you get out of the game Mm because people's expectations now are getting higher. You know, people want more for their money. Um, But that's the expectation nowadays is you have to make something nice. And if we can't, then get out of the way. So, yep. That's it. Um, is there in so since we both represent Skywatcher, is there anything that you think would be cool? I mean, obviously both of us know what's being worked on and we can't mm-hmm. discuss that, but yeah. um is there anything that you would like to see Skywatcher come out with like in the future that mm. we've never done before? <clears throat> well, Dobbs, you know, bigger dobs are always good. Um so yeah, possibly. And maybe bigger dobs. I don't know if they, they can do that. Mm-hmm. But then you, I guess you have to be portable as well. So yeah, it's the downfall. Like, okay, let's make a twenty-four inch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think <laughs> yeah, just like with, portable. <clears throat> you know, we're, we're covering a lot of bases with um with astrophotography. Uh, you know, with our with our quattros and sprees and that. You know, the quality is already there. So I guess it's just you know uh, feeding off that and what we've done well with that. You know, if it's um, you know, bigger refractors or smaller refractors um, along those markets. So, you know, that's that's probably would be really nice to see. Uh, but, you know, we've already got the, the products there to do the results. So. Mm-hmm. I would love an Esprit 180. A 7-inch Esprit would be like, yeah. yeah. I don't think we'd sell many of them because they're going to no. be expensive. But it would be awesome. So. Esprit 180. Okay, I didn't think of that yeah. one. But, yeah, that's that's yeah. good. Spree 180 nice. F7 with an F54 reducer for full frame. Yeah, and a okay. Really yep. big EQ8 mm-hmm. mount to hold it. So yep. I mean, the 150 is no small refractor mm-hmm. either. So no, it's not. seven would be noticeable. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, I, you know, we've got the Star Adventure GTI. Uh, hopefully, we'll be landing here in Australia in about three weeks time for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'd be great to see, you know, the results of people um, matching them up uh, to small refractors out there or, you know, larger telephoto lenses and seeing the results yeah, yeah. that they're going to be able to take with them. 
I think it's just opening up that whole uh, deep space uh, uh, market for them. Now the GTI, I think, will do really, really nicely. I've been impressed with it. I tested it with a Canon 600 f4 Mark III Ooh, wow. lens. Yep. Um, no problem. It, That's good. It shot really nice with it. I just wish I had better weather at the time of having that lens with me to um, really push it. But it, I do think that go-to tracker um, mixture is really what, mm -hmm. especially if you're coming from the photographic market. That's a huge. Uh, plus for a lot of people it is yeah uh, i know we're getting to the end here normally this is when we open it up to q a but since this is pre-recorded uh sorry uh, so if do you have a website will if people want to see what you're doing and up to or you're primarily on instagram aren't you yeah I've, i have a website but my instagram tag is godward photography that's just my name and photography mm -hmm. so I, that's why i'm probably the most active uh, with my photography shoots. I haven't been that active over the last six months till my, my number three daughter arrived. Um, so Congratulations. I've been a little bit uh, sidetracked with that. Yeah. Busy. Busy. Yes. Busy. Um, but yeah, no, I'm looking forward to getting out there. We're just, we're starting to come to the season where the, you know, you start capturing the arch arc of the Milky way over the Western horizon. So I've got a few compositions that are planned that I'm going to try and, uh, try and achieve coming into this season. So yeah but yeah godwood photography is where you can uh, keep up to date um and that's nice. facebook or instagram as well so and then um you work with particularly you work skywatcher australia but that mm -hmm. is uh tsa in australia is the main company mm -hmm. yeah so tsa is our, our company and you know we're, we're distributors for skywatcher also distributors for celestron as well and other optics brands uh so yeah we're I think it's about 54 year old uh, company uh, down here. And yeah, we've been distributing, I think Skywatcher for I think over 20 years now um, down here. So yeah, it's become part of the family um, a brand for us. And yeah, we're really, it's great to see. And, you know, especially through the last uh, few years um, through COVID to see the, the, uh, the increase um, in astronomers and astrophotographers out there wanting to get into the hobby uh, for us down here in Australia. No, it's, it's been very good, I think, for everyone. And I think it's been good for the hobby, too. So it's it's nice to, to see that that's, you know, an international thing mm -hmm. that our hobby globally is is growing. So, yeah, uh, yeah. You got anything you want to add? Because that's pretty much our hour at this point. No, that's been good. No, thanks for having me on, Kevin. And Absolutely. No. We'll have to have you back on or do a virtual star party from the Southern hemisphere or something I was crazy. Thinking like that. That. I think we could do that. Maybe it might be in the middle of the night for me, but I could do that. We could yeah. uh, do a live stream uh, looking over the night sky. No, we Let's... might have to do that. So we'll talk about that. Um, good, cool. Well, thank you very much uh, for hanging out with us. Will, uh, for those of you who are hanging out with us today, thanks a lot. Um, if you have any questions for Will, uh, just shoot them over to us through the info at skywatcherusa.com and we can send them over to him or check out his Instagram. Um, and if you're in Australia, good for you. Um, check out TSA if you're looking for any of your optical needs. They've got a bunch of that. Um, not to be confused with the TSA travel thing here in the United States. Very separate things. Yep. Um, but anyway, uh, 
Have a great weekend, everyone. We will catch you next week for our What's Up in the Nighttime Sky episode uh, for July. And Will, thank you very much and have a good rest of your day. Thanks, Kevin. All right. See you guys. Bye.